This episode is brought to you by Marantz Model 40N, ISA's Smart Amplifier of the Year. The most musical sound simplified. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. Joining me this time out is Jason Stoddard, co-founder of Shit Audio. Yes, Shit Audio, spelled S-C-H-I-I-T. Jason, welcome. Hey, it's good to talk to you. Now, Jason, where are you right now? Are you in California or Texas? I'm in Corpus Christi, Texas right now. Okay, but your company is now, well, it was founded in California, but it's now sort of split between two states, right? Yeah, we are, uh, I guess you could actually say we're bi-coastal. Uh, <laughs> we, right. No, we, we are literally on what they call the third coast. We are on the Texas coast. Okay. Um, as well as, you know, in California. Um, I, I find it amusing. That, that's all. <laughs> okay. Now, we're, we are gathered here today. <laughs> to talk about two products that you've had in production in various forms for is it 10 years 10 years yeah well okay to be to be absolutely accurate i think the first magni was introduced uh december 13th 2012 okay first magni and modi so a little less than 10 years so the magni is the headphone amplifier and modi is the dac yes but when See, I'm familiar with Modi, less so with Magni, but m when Modi f was first introduced, it was USB only, wasn't it? Modi was USB only, USB powered uh, only, and only um, essentially, it is a really simple device. Plug it into your computer, plug into RCAs, that's all it had, and you're done. Okay. And I guess Magni would be a little bit more involved. It was still very simple. It was, uh, you know, single gain, you know, what you'd call high gain today, a high gain uh, headphone amp uh, with a wall wart to plug in, you know, the RCAs from the, the Modi and plug in your headphones and you're good. It didn't have preamp outputs, didn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have switchable gain. Now, were you one of the first, if not the first manufacturer in the sort of general well-known hi-fi space at that time in 2012 to introduce a DAC that sold for a hundred bucks? I believe so. I mean, there, there may have been some some others out there, uh, the, the $99 price point, I think they were above 99 mm -hmm. and the, the $99 price point really was a thing. Um, it was Mike Moffat's thing, right? He's like, you know, we need to do a super cheap DAC. Like he actually called it the DAC in the toilet paper roll because he's like, <laughs> no, he's like, how do you package it so cheaply that you can, <laughs> that you can sell it like this? And, uh, you know, luckily we came up with, uh, you know, a chassis that looks a little better than the toilet paper roll, but, you know, it was still very simple. Um, and when he first showed me the board and said, you know, this is this is our the bomb cost, you know, our cost. Uh, mm. I was like, we could actually do $99 products, which was an amazing realization. Uh, I never, you know, during the, the Sumo and Theta days, I, if you said, oh, you're going to do $99 products, I'd be like, no, you, you're crazy. Hmm. And that, that's a consumer price point. That's, that's something you'd never do. Um, and so when he showed me that, I'm like, oh, crap, I guess I got to do a headphone amp that matches and, you know, figured out how to get that, you know, at the right price point. And that was it. 
Was that triggered by the the low cost or the low build cost of the chassis? Uh, a lot of it is um, really keeping the chassis cost down is is critical. Um, mm. You could you could put a ton of money in the chassis and then find out, uh, yeah, we're in trouble because even with nothing in it, um, it's going to be an expensive product. I I literally once saw a faceplate for an un, a product that will remain unnamed that. <laughs> At the cost, okay, the cost of machining and finishing the faceplate was such that if you put it in a box, it would sell for as much as an Yggdrasil. So the oh, wow. faceplate at retail at our you know type of margins would be twenty four hundred dollars. Wow! So because you know when people say to me, "Oh, John, I can't believe how expensive this amplifier is, or this DAC is, or this headphone amp." I always say to them, look, you've got to understand that the chassis itself, the box, is possibly the biggest contributor to the price. Am I, am I right about that or am I way off? It can be. I mean, you, you can go you can go completely insane on hmm. you know chassis costs, especially if if it's low production, if you're only making, say, fifty or a hundred of them, um, then yeah, the price can get way out of way out of hand. Um, hmm. a lot of the stuff we do, well, all of the stuff we do now is pretty much tooled and stamped. So essentially we have tools, um, the stuff is stamped. It's not NC, not CNC or computer mm. numerical controlled, uh, low production stuff because we're typically, you know, shooting at thousands, tens of thousands. And in the case of, you know, magnum melody over their life, you know, hundreds of thousands, mm. um, it's a different ball game. I want to bring it back to when you launched Magnum Modi. Did did they do both? Did they both do really well from the outset? They both did very very well, um, and we got a lot of feedback about their limitations. You know, one was you know Magni is only high gain, and uh, Modi, you know, if you plug it into a you know a dirty computer, you know, uh, power supply outlet, it it could be noisy. Mm -hmm. And you know, we we addressed a lot of that. You know, Magnum Modi two. Uh, mm. were largely a, uh, a response to that. And when did they come out? That was 2014. So okay. we, we started kind of like a two-year product cycle, mm -hmm. um, which we've broken before. Yeah, we actually, <laughs> it's, three, it's three years in the, the last cycle. Um, but the interesting thing about Magnum Muddy 2 is Mike and I both at the same time were like, hey, I wonder, you know, if we threw a little bit more money at this, what could we do? And that's where it bifurcated into Magni2 Modi2 and Magni2 Uber and Modi2 Uber, uh, which which were both $50 more. So they're $150 uh, price point. And uh, that those had, in the case of Magni, had a, a better gain stage. Um, in, the, mm -hmm. in the case of Modi, it actually had three inputs and it ran off of a wall wart rather than uh, USB. And... Um, those those two products sold very well, but you know the the bifurcation of the line in itself is a problem because uh, probably about eighty percent of our questions, uh, you know, about bifurcating the line is, well, which one should I get? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it's yes, a question uh, you can't answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's really hard. I mean, it, again, anything like that, it always devolves into like, well, if you actually have salespeople, which we don't. Uh, if if you actually have salespeople, it devolves into like, well, if you spend more, you get more. It's like, okay. 
So mm-hmm. that means everyone should buy a Ragnarok and an Eggrazel. No, of course it doesn't mean that. But it can easily kind of go to that that space, which I want to keep us out of. And that's why we don't typically comment too much on the way things sound. That'll that'll change a bit, you know, mm. in time. Um, but we don't. We try not to do the horrible upsell thing. Right, like you, I've I noticed that you're one of the. Well, I won't say few companies, but one of the companies I've noticed that who don't go in for the whole, oh, a $99 DAC competes with other rivals at two or three times the price. You know, that kind of toothless, meaningless bullshit, which I yeah. think is great. And and also, we're the first people to say, I mean, it says right on the Magnum Modi pages, it's like, this is all you need. <clears throat> and and it says, we're actually serious about this. You know, this is all you need. And, and there's an, in the FAQ, I think there's like, then why should I spend more? It's like, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you want tubes. Maybe you want a, a sexy aluminum chassis. Maybe you want, you know, something that's big enough to hold down, you know, the peeling veneer on your old, you know, stereo rack, you know, <laughs> there, <laughs> you know, I, <clears throat> but we're, we're very serious about that. And I think we also are, are very upfront and telling people it's like, you know, buy the headphones or speakers you want. And then if you're unsatisfied with, you know, what you're getting, you know, then maybe consider buying some of our stuff, but you know, put mm-hmm. the money in the transducer, put it, you know, yes. put it where it's going to make the most, you know, um, different. But why would somebody buy a Bifrost or even an Yggdrasil and not just, not just stay with the Modi? <clears throat> and that's, that's where you come down to, uh, <laughs> sound and, um, and ideology, ideology plays a, a big role mm-hmm. in it, probably much bigger than you than you know anyone wants to admit. Mm. Uh, but I believe uh, that that Bifrost and Iggy sound you know a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people will argue with that. Um, I also you know also Bifrost and Iggy um, are what we call our true multi-bit products, meaning it's got our own digital filter. It has our own take on. Uh, multi-bit DACs, and by multi-bit we mean you know 16 to 20 bits. You know a lot more than you know the three to five of you know a multi-bit Delta Sigma DAC. Mm-hmm. But you know that's our belief. If you ask Cord, you know what they believe, it'll be different than that. Mm-hmm. Than that. If you ask um, another manufacturer what they believe, PS Audio or whoever, they're going <laughs> to believe something different too. Um, and I do believe that true multi-bit is is one of the you know, best technologies out there. Hmm. Um, is it the be all end all? Probably depends on your system. You know, probably depends on what else you're using it with. And also your priorities, because one person might value a, a very tiny difference at yeah. say a thousand euros. And another person might go, poof, that's not even worth 20. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've, we've had, uh, <laughs> here's a fairly amazing thing. We made a uh, and showed a pitch shifting device that we called the gadget uh, mm-hmm. at a show. And this thing, it actually went and shifted the whole pitch of, of uh, the music without altering a pl- the play length. So this mm-hmm. thing is actually literally taking apart and putting the music back together in real time and doing it quite transparently. And if you played it for a musician, they would immediately go, oh, my God, what the heck did you do to this? You know, I, I can't <laughs> believe that, that this is happening. And this is like, this is freaky and weird. Hmm. And then, but about 30% of the people that listened to it said, 
I, it doesn't do anything. Oh. And we're talking like a massive, massive difference in sound. Right. And, you know, it, you can be... <laughs> You can be mean and say, well, you know, you're just deaf. It's like, no, you may not care about that. And that may be just fine. I mean, heck, you may be way luckier than people who, you know, hear the, you know, the flea farts and stuff to, to mm. be totally, you know, honest with you. It's funny, actually, because I've just been editing a video just now. And I've been on this theme for a while. I'm sorry to turn it back to me, Jason. I know that's a bit yeah. self-absorbed of me, but I do want to just follow this diversion for a little bit because in the last year, I've been using the term, is this an audiophile difference? Mm. As if to sort of separate it out from what might be a sort of normal person difference. Now, I know there's a continuum between those two, let's call them polar extremes. Mm -hmm. But I think there are such things as tiny differences that people like you or I will really, really value, right? And many people in the world, many audiophile people or hi-fi people or people who just care about the sound of shit will mm. really value. And then other people will hear it and, and just shrug their shoulders and go, huh, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're talking about. And I think this comes up a lot with DAX. Yes, it comes up a lot with DAX. It even comes up to a lesser extent with amps. And mm. uh, the example I like to give is, uh, you know, because I can say, Okay, the example I'd like to give is mm. this. If I give you a pair of Odyssey headphones mm -hmm. and a pair of Grado headphones, mm -hmm. and you listen to both of those, are you going to hear a difference? And, you know, about 99% of people will be like, wow, these are radically different, mm -hmm. you know, sounding. Mm. Um, if I go from Modi to Yggdrasil, are you going to hear a difference? Um, it, the percentage is going to be a lot lower, mm -hmm. like a lot lower. It may be, you know, who knows? It might be only 20 or 30%. It may be lower than that. Right. So you wouldn't say they were radically different then, would you? No. And I mean, the thing is that the DAX have gotten quite good. Yes. You know, the, the, the baseline of DAX is really good now. Mm. So I, you know, heck, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been sitting here listening to a Fuller, you know, a new, you know, brand new Fuller, uh, mm. Fuller E, uh, for the longest time, just because I'm like, eh, I don't really feel like turning on something with tubes or anything. And it, this is, you know, this is a Delta Sigma ESS DAC based thing, you know, with IC output. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. You know, is it the be all end all? No, you know, I'll, I'll hook up one of our big stupid tube things and go, oh yeah, I, this, this sounds better to me, you know, with these headphones. But, you know, you can cook a cat on it. You know, they run hot. <laughs> you got to deal with tubes. You know, it, at some point, you're like, eh, I don't know about this. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah because you got to live with stuff. It has to fit in with your life, right? You can't be mm -hmm. just a, this weird, wacky demon machine in the corner that you can't go near because it's like walking towards a blast furnace. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, then that, yeah, that pretty much accurately describes the, the Folkvanger, the, the limited production tube amp we just recently sold out of. It's like, yeah. Oh, that, you sold them all. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 love, I love that amp, but it's, it's actually hilarious when you're sitting three feet away from it and you're like, I can actually feel that. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. I mean, yeah. I've got a tube amp in my cellar that I've been, I've got to review it eventually, but it's on a very long-term loan. And I've been waiting to pull it out 
I've been waiting for the weather to turn really cold <laughs> so that I can, no, seriously, because then I don't, yeah. if I pull it out, I won't have to run my radiator because the, 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 the hot water system in this building is heated by gas. And I'm mm. sure you're aware, like yep. the, the Russian pipeline is no more. So gas prices have gone sky high. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll wait till it gets really cold, which it has done in the last week. Then I can get, get this tube amp out of the cellar and have that heat my lounge room in the evenings. <laughs> Turn it off at night. No, I, I totally <laughs> get it. I'm just I'm just laughing because it's like, well, if you if you like cold, never ever ever come to South Texas. Oh my God. <laughs> so, except for about like two days a year, it gets really cold. And then the rest of it is like heat and humidity like you've never experienced before. It sounds like my nightmare place. This is why I left Australia because mm -hmm. I don't like heat and humidity. And I quite I don't love cold. And I'm certainly not going to spend the winter here again. Um, well, this this winter, I'm going to go somewhere else. But yeah, anyway, so okay, back to Magni yeah. and Modi. So when did version three come out? Was that 2016 or 17? Version three came out in 2016. And that was a that was actually a response to, like I said, the problem of Okay, so you, now you have two and two Ubers, and which one should I get? And, mm. and so Mike and I both got together and said, okay, look, let's bring them back together. Let's do, you know, the one Magni and the one Modi. And the one Modi is pretty simple. Uh, it just, you know, we just needed to actually uh, take a haircut on margin, which is fine. You know, mm. it, the the interesting thing about manufacturing is if you, you know, the, the judgment calls that you can make, it's like if something is super reliable and you're going to make a ton of them, the margin can be much lower. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's like a special edition weirdo, you know, thing, you know, not, not, not saying any names like folk longer. Uh, yeah. The, the margin went be high, you know, it has to be high. Right. Well, um, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Economies yeah. of scale. Magni was weird though because Mag that was when I got this this weird itch to do um, a current feedback uh, design. Hmm. Cur current feedback is uh, Magni's have always been discrete from the start. They were like a little discrete power amp, and uh, they were a little discrete power amp, kind of like in the the vein of uh, an old Sumo Polaris two or something. It was voltage feedback. It was what they call a Lin topology or, you know, maybe closer to a blameless topology. Nice. Um, but I'm like, you know, I, I really would like to play around with, with current feedback because I'm, I'm interested in that. It should theoretically sound better. It has a, a neat symmetry to it. And uh, so Magni 3 was the first current feedback Magni. And oh, okay. I, I thought it sounded a lot better. And I, oh boy, okay, so we've we've got this great, you know, this great Magni now, all discrete, current feedback, you know, super exotic, you know, kind of stuff. Um, and I was I was happy, um, and that went along pretty well until there. It, it's it's odd that there there started to be this this strange perception of like, well, Magni doesn't measure that good, mm -hmm. um, and what's really weird is I'm going to do a chapter on this in a, in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Magni's, you know, through the, through the years. Um, no, they've always measured really, really good. And in fact, uh, Magni 2 Uber measured better than any other Magni before uh, Heresy. Uh, the three actually went backwards a little bit, but not much. I mean, we're still talking 
minus 108 or so dB THD plus mm -hmm. N. And so I did the Magni 3 Plus in uh, like I guess that that must have been yeah 20 yeah 2019. So there's mm -hmm. a three year gap. Uh, I did that as a response to that. And I focused on improving the performance and the low impedance loads. And, and it is a lot better than any Magni before it into, you know, 32 ohm and lower, you know, impedance loads. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it was leaps and bounds, you know, better than, than that. In terms of, you know, performance into 300 ohms, eh, it's about the same. Uh, but low impedance performance is much better. Are you talking about measured performance there? Yes. Mm, yes. Okay. And I, it, it does it does sound different. I mean, ironically, I think I might prefer the, the sound of uh, the earlier some of the the, the earlier Magni three, hmm. but I like a softer, you know, kind of more lush, you know, presentation. Hmm. Um, that's just me. Uh, a lot of people want the detail; they want the impact, and that's what the later Magnus you know, give you without going over the top. You know, you know, scratchy and nasty and bright sounding stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the latest—is it the latest generation of Modi Magni that you've just announced? Yes. Uh, those just go back to plus. We dropped the numbers. Uh, we really hate fours. We had a really bad uh, experience with uh, the intro to the full of four, um, which became the full of E very quickly. And I'm like, okay, no more fours. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I know, I know, in, in you know some Asian cultures, fours are really bad, and it's like, you know what? I think I, I'm starting to agree with them. I, I'm I'm going to leave the fours off things now. Okay. Um, so we just went to plus uh, Magni Modi Plus. Uh, that's probably the biggest change Magni's ever seen because it's a whole new chassis, whole new layout. You know, the headphone jack is on on different side. It's much more optimized as far as you know how the how the layout works. You know the the Essentially, the flow through the chassis is much better, hmm. um, and it now has three gain levels, including negative gain. So, if you're using IEMs, uh, it's much more friendly to that. It has a bunch of little tweaks on the Magni Three Plus, uh, but it's very similar to that in general. Unless you're talking Magni Heretic, which is a tweak on the Magni Heresy, uh, which is an op-amp-based uh, Magni that we did. You know, to actually kind of see how far we could we could peg the measurement numbers, and both you know both Magni Heresy and Heretic measure very well. Mm. Um, they're they're not my favorite you know, as far as sound, but I think they sound good you know for what they are. Or else we wouldn't we wouldn't bother selling them. Um, but so you, do you find that using op amps instead of discrete components allows you to hit certain measurement targets more easily? Oh yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. It, it's uh, the chapter I'm I'm going to be doing on Magnus is kind of like uh, I I just kind of dispense with Magni and Heresy. Say, hey, okay, here's how you get great measurements from an op amp based headphone amp. Hmm. You use the best op amps. You connect them to a decent power supply, and now you're done. Um, how do you improve it? Well, you wait for better op amps to come out. You put those in there, and there you go. Again, this is it's. I'm prejudiced because I'm an analog discrete designer, so I'm like, this is not very interesting. Hmm. You know, I'd rather I'd rather do the analog thing. Uh, I'd rather do the analog discrete thing. So, what is and, the is are there advantages to doing discrete components? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, we can actually go far past the limit of, of op amps as far mm -hmm. as um, maybe not in terms of absolute measured performance, but okay. So uh, give me a single ended, uh, yeah, give me a single ended op amp design that does, you know, 60 volts out for, you know, these crazy like 600 ohm headphones and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, sorry, you can't do that because op amps usually top out at like plus or minus 18 volts. So there you go. Um, let's say uh, like literally every every amp ever done for, say, like a electrostatic headphone, that's going to be discrete. Mm -hmm. uh, every amp ever, ever done for the crazy ribbon headphones that need the source like, you know, 10, 10 to 15 amps, that's going to be discrete. Um, any amp that is low feedback but still high performance is going to be discrete. Um, and that's one of the really interesting things is, you know, the Magni Plus with 100 dB less feedback than a Magni Heretic uh, gets within about 10 dB of its overall performance. It means it's a very linear stage. Um, you know, inherently, it's a it's a very linear, correct stage, and it doesn't need a lot of feedback. So, I just want to unpack that a little bit for people that might not be aware that introducing feedback helps you drive drive down distortion. Is that right? Yes, drive down distortion, drive down output impedance, etc. Okay, so you have to apply more feedback. I'm um, generally speaking here, Jason, not specifically, mm -hmm. but. You have to apply more feedback to an op-amp-based circuit than you do a discrete component-based circuit. Yeah, well, op-amps just, they have higher gain in general. I mean, I think the, the specified gain of the OPA-1656 that we're using in Heretic is 130 dB. Hmm. So if you want 0 dB, you know, if you want a what what's, what's called low gain now, you know, just input, same as output, mm -hmm. you have 130 dB of feedback. Uh, if you want... Uh, zero dB on a on a Magni Plus, it's about thirty dB of feedback because the gain stage is only only has about thirty dB of gain. Um, the it's yeah, <laughs> and here's the thing: um, some people will say, "Well, more feedback's better," uh, or feedback doesn't matter, and it's like, well, that's not what we hear. Um, it's not what correlates to you know what what a lot of people have independently reported. But again, this gets into, well, there's not a lot of research. There's not a lot of blind testing. Um, there's not a lot of data. Mm. So I can't say specifically, you know, less feedback equals better sound. Um, but but, you're, I, but you're, yeah. you're an experienced engineer, Jason. So you must have like, what, 30 years behind you of doing this stuff. So you, you probably have some findings that you could report on, even if they are sort of based upon a, a series of anecdotes down the decades. Yeah. And the series of anecdotes is that the more linear the basic stage and the less feedback you got to use, uh, typically the more natural it sounds. Um, right. That that's that's you know it in a nutshell. And in fact, I mean, one of the things you know that we've been playing with, you know, in some of the tube amp designs is like, okay, let's let's see what going back to the no, you know, no overall feedback uh, mm. gets us. Um, the there are problems with that you know most notably the output impedance goes way up and then you can't drive a lot of things mm -hmm. uh the, the measured performance you know looks horrifying 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no two words about it. It's just, right. it's ugly. Uh, so it, there's a balancing act. Um, mm. Typically, we find that some corrective feedback is good. Too much is not so great. Um, and, you know, then there's what kind of feedback? Is it voltage feedback or current feedback? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I, the you know, the new chapter where I talk about, you know, the Magni Tech, uh, it's, I made, I made the point of like, yeah, I was real excited when I saw that, you know, Magni 2 Uber, you know, measured like within a couple dB of, of heretic. And I mean, this is a discrete stage and it's not a complex discrete stage. It's very simple. I'm like, this is great. I can go back to voltage feedback. We have our one Magni. Everyone's happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no, actually it didn't sound that great. I'm like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> let's see how we can improve you know, current feedback. And, uh, you know, actually 15 prototypes later, uh, we got something that was basically a minor refinement of what we're already doing, because now you got to start trading off complexity. You know, uh, if I could throw a hundred more parts at it, oh boy, you know, we can do all sorts of fun stuff, uh, you know, as far as numbers go. <laughs> but then again, you have to be careful. A lot of this numbers chasing means oh, well, let's increase the gain of the stage so we can do more feedback. And then you end up with kind of that same sound that we don't like so much. It's kind of flat and sterile. Did you introduce heresy, heretic? I mean, I guess the names speak for themselves, but did you introduce those to basically just please the people that want a shit product, but want one that they know measures really well? That's that's mainly it. I mean, plus, like I said, there was this narrative of like, well, shit can't design anything um, that measures well. Mm. And it's like, no, we can. It's dead easy. It's just it's not interesting. Right. And so we did Heresy and then Magnius and IE Magni. And the DAX have always kind of measured pretty well, you know, past the first one, you know, as long as it's Delta Sigma. Um, and you know, so I, I think that narrative's over. Now I think let's start talking about what sounds good or if, you know, if you can hear it at all. Your, you know, your whole point about audio, you know, is it an audiophile difference or is it a really radical, like, in-your-face difference? In-your-face uh, difference. That's, that's, that's the terminology <laughs> I need to, to use. It's in-your-face. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So it... You know, there's going to be a lot of discussion on that because there's not a lot of data. There's not a lot of studies that have done what we like to call blind listening, not blind, you know, not ABX testing or anything mm. like that. Because it, I think if if you want to do a blind test, I think you need to have a relaxed environment. You need to let people choose the music. You need to let them listen to it as long as they want. Mm. You know, you you need to. You need to do it in a much better manner than here's a short clip. Here's a short clip. Okay. Pick the, pick the one that's from the short clip. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, that that's not fun. No one wants to do that. That's horrible. I don't, I mean, I, sh I, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm inferring your opinion on this incorrectly, but when I see people do that or read about that, I, I wince a little bit because I'm thinking that's not a situation that's going to reveal a difference. In fact, it's yeah. prejudiced against differences. And, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure someone's going to like say, oh, well, shit is just making all this stuff up. But let me, let me relate to you. Um, 
my <laughs> my experience with this. Mm. See, even I have doubts about what you can hear and whether it matters. Mm. And when Mike and Dave were developing the new Yggdrasil flavors, mm-hmm. um, they're like, we hate, we hate more is less. We hate the new TI 20-bit chip. It when, sounds, when, when, hang on one second. When, when you say hate, when they say hate, do they mean the sound of it? It sounds horrible to okay. them. Okay. This is the more is less, right? Yeah, the more is less. The one, that, they, measures, the one that measures really well. Yeah. And they said, and we love less is more. Less is more is great. And but they started arguing. Dave actually liked OG the best, and not mm-hmm. Mike. And that's when I'm like, you know what? We'll just do flavors. We'll see what people like. And I listened to all of them, you know, kind of briefly. I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't see what's so bad about more is less. And so I went and said, okay, we're going to do a real double blind test. We're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna bring in someone to set up all the Iggies, you know, it level matched blind you know in a in a room at mm-hmm. the shitter or a retail store mm-hmm. um and we're gonna invite some press and the guy who set it up is gonna go away no one's going to know including me no one's gonna know which is which all you can do is switch between them mm-hmm. and i'm like you watch mike and dave are gonna come in here and they're gonna pick more is less and i'm gonna laugh my ass off <laughs> right yeah, and I I went in and you know I listened and I'm you know I, I picked what I thought was was what and then Mike and Dave you know before everything was revealed Mike and Dave went in and they came out literally ninety seconds later and they went X is OG Y is more is less and Z is is less is more and they were one hundred percent right it took huh. them ninety seconds to actually go this is this and this is this and this is this and they were right. And after that, I'm like, you know, there may be something to this. Other people might actually hear mm-hmm. more than I do or differently than I do. Because I, I pick more is less. <laughs> <laughs> really? As, as your yeah, favorite of the three? As okay. my favorite. Yeah. But you're about to discontinue more is less, aren't you? Yeah. Once once they're gone, they're gone. It's just, yeah, no one no one wants to buy them. So, yeah, we, we can't we can't continue making them. I'd... I've, I've joked I'd, I'd love to have an Yggdrasil less is less and a more is more and then, you know, have a bunch of price difference between them because, you know, that would make things a lot more sensible. But so far, we haven't come out with either of those. So there you go. So the market has told you that the best measuring Yggdrasil is not the one that people want. Correct. Uh, right now, early data on uh, Magni Heretic mm-hmm. is that that's not the one they want either. Um, once uh, to back up the Magni three plus and heresy were introduced in two different color schemes. One was silver and one was black. And mm-hmm. you could, you could not get them either way. You had to, if you wanted black, you got a heresy. And if you wanted silver, you got a Magni three plus this time we said, well, let's get some real data and let, let's have, you can order it whatever color you want. And so far, Magni three plus, is, or sorry, Magni plus is is um, really winning. So we'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe there won't be a, a heretic at the end of the year. I mean, it's interesting because it's not just that the the best measuring DAC doesn't seem to correlate co- correlate with the best sounding DAC according to buyer preferences, but it almost seems to run contra to it or counter to it. Is that, am I reading that right? 
Yeah. And I, I think, though, it's important not to read too much into it because it, mm. the best measuring DAC could probably easily be the best sounding one. Uh, it comes down to probably chipset and implementation. Mike, Mike and Dave were they were always skeptical of the TI 20-bit chips because uh, they're like, oh, it's got a sample and hold. Sample and holds always sound bad. I'm like, mm. okay. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't really, I mean, I knew what they're talking about, but I didn't understand why they didn't like it. So maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, it's just not a great sounding, you know, DAC. They have a new version, a B version that we got to try out. Um, mm. So there's that. And we're happily using the TI 16-bit chips, which sound fantastic. So, so yeah, I, and, and actually we're getting decent, some, well, decent for multi-bit numbers out of them. The, the new Bifrost 2 actually measures quite well. Um, it's, it's measuring at about a, I think a minus 102 dB THD plus N, uh, mm. you know, based on 16 bit chips. So it's getting about, you know, 17, you know, 17 ish effective bits, which is pretty good, you know, for a, for a multi-bit, uh, type product. Maybe I should rephrase what I just said and say that the best measuring DAC that you make is not necessarily a guarantee of it being the best sounding. It could be but it might not be also. It could be, but it might not be. Right. And, and I've, I've been surprised by measurements my, you know, essentially my whole life. Cause I, I started, you know, as a, you know, absolutely measurements are 100%. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to show me anything else. I'm going to choose everything by measurement. And mm -hmm. then I was essentially forced to take uh, a, a sumo product home, which I, I thought was pretty hilarious. I'm like, look at this giant low powered amplifier. You know, it's clearly inferior to the Carver amps I had at the time. You know, it hardly puts out, you know, it, it puts out like half the power and it's huge and it runs hot and it's stupid. And I hooked it up to the, our speakers and, and went, oh shit. <laughs> said, wait a minute. Okay. There's something that I'm missing here. And that, mm. that was, that was literally kind of the start of the, the audiophile journey, so to speak. Do you think that's a young man's problem thinking that the numbers are all you need to know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was 22, you know, it's like, of course I knew everything and it was really easy to reduce to nothing. And, you know, you, you read stereophile, you know, or first time I read stereophile, I'm like, these people are crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I these they're they're clearly delusional, mm. um, and and now it's like it's much more nuanced. You know, you can go too crazy on the audiophile side, and you can go too crazy on the numbers side, because on one side, if the numbers are all that matters, well, it's like, well, where do you draw the line of what you can hear and you can't? Because mm. the number of what you can hear is probably very high like as in anything over minus 80 db is probably you know is a hundred percent so why try for anything else mm. um and if you go down the audiophile route the danger is like well everything matters you know uh, everything matters you know the the cables the the you know the the whatchamacallit the um power cords you know the the wiring in your walls the uh, the type of computer you're using, you know, or type of you know streamer you're using, you know, whether or not the streamer's on, you know, optical or if it's, you know, if it's running over Wi-Fi, you know, it's mm -hmm. like 
you can you can go crazy either way. You can, you can, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so that we try to kind of keep it near the middle. You have been, yeah. You've you've walked that line pretty steadfastly in the last 12, 12 years, right? You you guys have been in business, is that right? Yeah, since twenty ten. Yeah, 12 and a half years now. Yeah. You've seemed to have been the, the sort of not just the 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 wallet friendly manufacturer of DAX and amplifiers, but also the more pragmatic manufacturer with a whole bunch of humor thrown in to, I guess, re-emphasize that pragmatism or to underscore it. Well, I mean, let, let's face it. This is sound. This is music. It should be fun, right? I mean, it should be. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, you listen to it because this is, this is great. You know, this, this makes you feel happy and better. And, you know, it, it, it picks you up when you're low and uh, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to get into, you know, hair splitting on a lot of stuff. It's like, like, like I said, the, the little, uh, follow that I sit here listening to, hmm. it's like, it sounds great. You know, it, what I could probably be happy with it, you know, and just with that and nothing more. But do you find that, I mean, well, I mean, let me speak for myself. Um, I find that I have those moments quite often, but then <laughs> When I go back to something, some ridiculous or more ridiculous system, like it's separate, it's more expensive, you know, costly speakers and whatever, and I go, oh wow, yeah, now I know why I've got this setup as well. And yes. I feel, I feel very often, I feel torn down the middle as a person or as a hi-fi enthusiast because I, I love the thrills that the cheap stuff can give me, but mm -hmm. I also really love the deep satisfaction that the sort of more convoluted and let's face it, more expensive stuff also gives me. And they, they both satisfy different parts of me. And that's why we do both. Uh, right. Because uh, I will, I will freely admit that uh, actually to this day, I do not have an Eggdrazil. Right. What do you use? Uh, the highest stack I've ever had from our stuff is a Gunier. Uh, Goon your multi-bit. Uh, right. I typically use Bifrost too because it's small. You can mm. stick it anywhere and it sounds, you know, really good. So mm. there we go. You know, um, why do I not have an Yggdrasil? Uh, mainly because it's large. Mm. Um, and I don't typically have, you know, a, a giant rack of equipment in a dedicated room. My listening room is typically either where the theater is, you know, or I'm listening in my office, you know, near field. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, size, size is important. And in this case, you know, I want it smaller rather than bigger. That's, that's not, that's not really in line with the way the Texans think. Surely everything has to be bigger <laughs> in Texas, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious because we're making all the small gear here and the big stuff in California. Right. So you make, yeah, let's talk about production actually, because I always find this very interesting. So you make Magni and Modi and, and hell and a few others in 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 texas yeah basically anything from locius on down so mm. locius is a 299 dollar like six by nine sized product it's in inches sorry yeah I'm, I'm, no it's fine it's fine it's fine People uh, can do the, yeah yeah the uh the we make that on down in Texas. So everything, you know, Fulla and Sis and all of those all the way up. And actually, here's a here's a real easy way to, to look at it. Mm. If it uses a wall wart or if it runs off of USB, it is made in Texas. If it has a power cord, it is made in California. So 
I mean, because you and I haven't spoken since you moved part of your production to Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, can I ask you why you did that? We did it because we were actually afraid we we're going to get shut down by California uh, during, you know, essentially during COVID. Right. Um, the state of California came to us and said, "Hey, you need to you need to close." What? Uh, yeah, they're like, you, "You are not an essential business. You need to close." And I'm like, "That's funny because there's lots of states that have like an exemption for uh, essentially businesses selling direct and selling over the internet. It's it was very easy to do, you know, some sanitation protocols and you know ship things safely. It's not a big mm -hmm. deal." Uh, but California was being crazy, and and they're like, well, unless you fall into one of these categories, you know, you are not an essential business. And one of the categories, thankfully, was um, uh, business and office communications, which is when Hell and Fuller suddenly became uh, not just gaming products, but uh, Zoom products as well. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Yeah, but but that actually put the fear of God into us. And we're like, okay, maybe we need to see about being somewhere where this won't happen. Hmm. And we actually went and, and looked at several states. Uh, we looked at Utah, looked at Tennessee, looked at Texas, and decided, you know, Texas was the place for us, probably because we're crazy. Um, and, you know, uh, Texas and California are kind of like crazy, but in opposite directions. You know, they're both right. crazy. You know, they're both insane states, but the insanity goes in different directions. Um, I've, I've seen a, a couple of podcasts recently where people have been talking about the insane legislation that is just seems to be suffocating California. Yeah, it's it, it is difficult to have a business in California. Um, you know. Right now, we, we don't have any plans to, you know, consolidate in Texas or anything. But, mm. uh, you know, we'll see we'll see what the future brings. Uh, right now, everyone seems to be pretty happy because the California side can concentrate on the, the bigger, more difficult, you know, to build stuff. And the Texas, you know, Texas side does the high volume. So we might do 150,000 units a year out of Texas. Wow. But, you know, maybe 15 or, you know, ten or fifteen thousand out of California, and does all the metalwork and the boards for the smaller stuff in Texas get made in Texas, or is it shipped in? <laughs> Hilariously, <laughs> it's still made in California, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's actually Texas steel, which mm. is then shipped to California. <laughs> it, Why? It's okay. Yeah, it's stamped, and then right. it's shipped back to Texas. Okay, uh, well, I'm. I'm talking with our stamper now and then trying to convince him. I think I've, I think I probably have convinced him. It's like, you, you need to, you need to be in Texas as well, because he could literally be next to the steel mill. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, that's happening. Um, or, you know, we're, we're moving in that direction right now. Our PC boards are done in four different States. It could be California, could be Utah, could be Nevada, could be Texas. Mm. Um, you know, but, yeah, the the chassis, the boards, the in, in transformers. In the case of larger products, uh, those are all done in the U.S. You know, with with the U.S. companies. Uh, the wall warts, I believe, are coming from Taiwan now. Mm. And uh, you know, it's it, it's still a global economy, but you know, we're trying to keep as much of it as local as we can. I would just I'd be thrilled if we didn't have to ship things back and forth between yeah, sure. California and Texas. Are the Walworts why you, you're not allowed to put Made in the USA on your products? No, actually, uh, no, no one can really do Made in the USA. 
um, if they're putting made in USA on their products, they're opening themselves up for a world of hurt. Oh. Uh, because unless it is 100% made in USA, meaning everything like the chassis, the paint, the resistors, the wires, the everything. Really? Everything, like literally everything has to be made in USA? Literally everything. You could get a visit from the FTC and they could say, so what do you mean by made in USA? Mm-hmm. And you go, well, you know, it's about 90%, you know, by, by price, which is, you know, I think our, our lowest, our lowest, uh, you know, value product is, is probably 95%, you know, by bomb costs made in USA. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, yeah, that's nice. That's, that's not a hundred. Um, but if you want, for every product, you can actually go and certify, you know, you know, do the paperwork, certify that it's made, you know, made 95% in the USA, um, file those with us for every product, you know, quarterly, and um, and hope that, you know, your uh, steel mill doesn't, sit, you know, actually shift to like, hey, we, we got a shipment in from Taiwan because we had a glitch in production, because guess what? Then it's not made in USA anymore. So we said, hey, assembled in USA sounds wonderful to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's really, um, I, I wish it was more rational um, because actually you'd think that it's like, well, if it's mainly US, you know, you could say made in US, but they're really particular about it. So you can say made in US of, uh, of globally sourced components. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's a great phrase. Uh, or you could say assembled in the U.S. and then we explain on the each product page what that means. That means really made in the U.S. Hmm. Um, or we've now started abbreviating assembly to ASSY in USA. A S S Y. Yeah, I, I did see it. Yes, I thought. Okay. Pe- people are like, "That's deliberate, right?" And I'm like, "100 percent deliberate. 100 percent deliberate." <laughs> so. <clears throat> so, is this like a legislative change that is? taken place in the last 10, 12 years since you started? Or is it just something that you've met as you've scaled upwards? It looks like uh, it started being enforced uh, kind of about, well, about, you know, eight, about eight years ago. If I, you mm. know, about eight years ago, it started being enforced a lot more. Mm. Um, and we were alerted to it uh, from you know, a friend of ours also in the audio biz. It's like that said, hey, you know, you're, you're going to have a problem here. Um, and I said, yeah, well, you, you import stuff from China and they're like, you know, the, we got popped for something that's not imported from China, but made here, you know, from us chassis, us boards, just like yours. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> so, right. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Got it. Got it. And I, I looked into it and that's, it's like, it's very, very gray. Um, and essentially if FTC decides that you're not being honest, uh, with your public, they can come in and shut you down. And I didn't really want to do that. So we, we made it, you know, uh, made it a little bit more honest that we are assembling stuff in the U S uh, from, you know, stuff that is, you know, from all over the world, but in general, you know, the vast majority of it does come from the U S for people that, who care about that. Um, there's a lot of ton, there's a ton of people in the world. I'm sure that who don't care at all. about mm. that. Yeah. So, I know a couple of years ago, well, during the middle of COVID, or maybe it was even last year, maybe it's quite recent, you were t- you were talking on a 
I think in a video that you made on your channel that you were being hit by not just parts shortages, but also cardboard packaging was hard to get. Yeah. Uh, luckily, that's okay. The cardboard problem is over. The metal problem is over. But parts are still interesting. Mm. Um, they're, you know, it's getting better. It's much better than it was even six months ago. But we still have a DSP shortage. We still don't know when we're going to get some DSPs uh, for our higher end DAX. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're in the middle of, you know, redesigning for TI DSPs from analog devices. Okay. And uh, I suspect you'll be seeing TI DSPs in a lot of our stuff very quickly uh, because it's either that or not ship anything. Does that change the sound at all or no? It shouldn't. I mean, basically a, a DSP or digital signal processor is just, you know, running, you know. Just running numbers, right? Just running the code that we, you know. Yeah. We, we actually have... Um, yeah, you know, we have some stuff in development where you can run it on a DSP or an FPGA. So, huh. you know, they're not interchangeable, but the code can be run on either one. And there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, and yeah, we're, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But right now, I think our, our biggest focus is, you know, mitigating the effect of the DSP shortage and um, then dealing with, the little minor, you know, relatively minor things where it's like just just a couple of days ago, it's like, oh, some, these regulators we can't get. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic because we mm. use them everywhere. Um, so, yeah, the, the parts thing is going to continue for a bit, but it is better. Uh, cardboard is good and metal is good. Metal actually started getting weird for a while. Uh, huh. But yeah, but that was before actually a giant new steel mill has come online here in Texas, and that seems to have mitigated a lot of it. Oh, it's good to hear. And yeah. what's what's how has the AKM situation played out for you? Actually, we didn't have much trouble with it. We we went over to ESS, um, and people seemed to like ESS. Yeah, you know, they like the way the ESS stuff sounds. Um, they like it. They like it so much that I don't think we're switching back. So this is in the new Modi, right? ESS. Yeah, Modi three E, uh, Modius E, uh, Helen Fola are all ESS now. And uh, Mike and Dave, like they, <laughs> they weren't happy at first, but now they seem to be pretty happy with the way everything sounds. Uh, and we we went and. You know, redesign. We we redesigned for ESS, and of course, you know, right about the time we're we're getting everything finished up and and converted over, you know, AKM is like, hey, we're kind of back, and it's like, yeah, that's nice. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how that works out. I mean, who knows? Maybe we will use some AKM stuff, but right now, I I think ESS has given us a a a better you know a more flexible platform, really. Right. We we uh, can do a lot of things with the ESS decks we couldn't do uh, with AKM, so I think we're going to stay. Um, I actually like the the ESS, you know, full of and hell actually quite a bit better than the than the AKM ones. One could cheekily suggest that now you're with ESS that you could do DST and MQA. <laughs> we could. We oh actually oh yeah uh, on the C on the C media. USB receiver products such mm. as um, Fuller and Hell, we could. Mm -hmm. um, we won't be. Uh, and on the Unison products, we've never, you know, we've never actually even considered 
building that into our own USB receiver. Can you tell us a bit about Unison USB, Jason? Because I know that it's a word that gets banded around quite a bit in your press releases, but I'm, well, I just like to unpack it just for my audience, really, because I think people will know of, yeah, the C Media. And what was the what's the other really big XMOS. one? Xmos. Xmos begins next. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, so you had the C Media and the Xmos dominating the market for most of the 2010s, right? Yeah, and Xmos really probably has uh, essentially the lock on the market mm. um, because you know they have the biggest mind share. They probably have the best products. Um, C Media has some really good products that are you know extremely flexible, which is why we use them in Hell and Full Up. Mm. But you know, a long time ago, Mike decided that we need to have our own USB interface as in, mm. you know, we did the code for this and it's implemented on a general purpose 32 bit, uh, microprocessor. Mm-hmm. So we have our own thing. And th- this puts us in a weird category. I, I don't believe there are many companies that are actually doing this. Most people just, you know, license from Xmos or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, Mike said from the start, he's like, look, this is just going to be focused on sound quality. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to be doing any kind of weird formats or, you know, compatibility with anything or microphone input or, you know, this is literally just let's get the PCM audio off of, you know, your stream or your computer and let's get it, you know, into I squared S, which is, you know, mm-hmm. what, what typically goes to the DAX. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was a bit skeptical, you know, again, like I said, I'm, I, I, I don't know how much of this stuff I believe. Uh, and, and that probably sounds really crazy coming from me, but I am, I am skeptical. And so when Mike said, yeah, I got this, this new USB thing and it sounds great. I'm like, well, how can USB sound like anything, you know, what, but it's just, it's just mm-hmm. data, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there, there are going to be arguments about like, well, you know, it, it you know, it, it doesn't have, uh, it, it's not really packetized. It's not really, you know, error correct, you know, you know yep. et cetera. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's nice. But, you know, can you hear that? And, and is it is really a factor because if it was a factor. I mean, uh, you couldn't use an external hard drive, right? So I was skeptical and, and he, he finally gave me a, you know, a, a, a DAC card for the Gunier to, to play with and plugged it in and listened to it and said, uh, wow, this sounds really different. And so Mike's like, what do you think? And I said, well, it's, it's broken. So it's clear. <laughs> it's clearly broken because and he, he's like, why? So because it sounds different hmm. and you know, this is, sounds so radically different. It's got to be broken, and I should be able to measure how it's broken. Hmm. And uh, I eventually you know, got it up on the analyzer, and I'm like, huh, it, uh, it measures the same as all the other ones. Okay. Uh, that, again, makes no sense at all, but it did, you know, sound different. And, and in, you know, in my estimation, it sounded better. Mm-hmm. And after that, I kind of shut up about Unison USB, and uh, it, we we took it to market, and I'm very very happy we did because it has just been the most dead reliable, you know, works with anything, uh, you know, USB interface that we've ever worked with. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, I know you you mentioned your uh, your multi bit card. 
and that's the older C media chip. So, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. It, so before we started recording, I was yeah. talking about how my um, recent upgrade in Mac OS is basically giving me no sound from the multibit card that's inside my Jotunheim two. So yeah, so that's C media. Okay, it's not Unison. But yeah, and, and C media has a lot of legacy stuff built in. It's mm. uh you know, one of the things yeah, everyone says, Well, why is Unison great? And it's like it's it's great because it doesn't have any legacy stuff in it. It is strictly a UAC two compatible uh USB to I squared S, you know, device. That's all it does. It doesn't it doesn't look for weird formats. It doesn't try to be compatible with you know older, slower USB. It doesn't have drivers for anything. You plug it into you know modern Windows or you know any modern OS, and it's mm. just detected and it works. But you know if you're running antique Windows or you know, really old stuff, um, yeah, it won't work with it <laughs> yeah, right. at all. So, so what what actually is it, Jason? Is it is it a chip and a connector, or like what does it look like physically? Yeah, it's it's a it's a microchip, thirty-two bit microprocessor mm -hmm. that's hooked up to a USB port, and then it has outputs to our DAX. It's a really simple, simple you know implementation as far as you know the hardware. It's the the crazy firmware that you know took Dave and Ivana a couple of years to get right. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's really where it you know where it is, and we're about we're about to introduce um, Erd. Uh, which is our uh, people have called it a CD player, but it's not. It's it's not even just a CD transport. It's a it has a CD drive in it, mm -hmm. but it also has a bunch of USB and SPDIF inputs and outputs. Ah, um, okay, so as in it has two USB inputs, inputs, mm -hmm. and one USB output that you can go and switch between, or you can take the two USB inputs and you can convert them to SPDIF as well. So it's a DDC. Uh, it's a DDC. I hate that term, but. Why do you hate that term? <laughs> Sorry. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Why would you need to convert anything digital? But well, anyway. I, I, I use that term because of ADC and DAC. So yeah. it, it just flows with those two other terms, but I, okay, yeah. Yeah, but, it, it's it's fine. I mean, it's a useful term. I just you know, it it's one of those those uh, things I don't I don't like that much. But it, it is a DDC that has a, a CD drive on it, hmm. and uh, th so this would debut our first what what uh, Mike has called the Unison USB host, meaning we actually have uh, a, a USB transmitter essentially as well as a receiver. So basically, we can we can use that to go Unison to Unison. Uh, which Mike is saying is the Holy Grail, and you know you, you will you will see God without drugs. And, you know, <laughs> it is have, have unicorns and rainbows and stuff. I I don't know. <laughs> I haven't I haven't used the device yet. But so, uh, so so to be clear, you've got a USB in and a USB out plus other outs as well, right? So yeah, so and, if, and two two USB ins that you can switch between. Okay, and does if you go USB in and say spit off out. Yep. Does the spinoff out sound different to just coming USB straight out of the device that you're using originally? That's what I'm told, but I have not actually used this device. We just sent out a couple of uh, you know very early uh, betas, and mm -hmm. there'll be you know a few more uh, that'll go out, and, and we'll make sure that it's it, 
hilariously, of course, you know, once we got it, you know, fully working, first one we sent out, the guy's like, hey, it works great with your DAC, but it, you know, your DACs, but it doesn't work with any others. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So I said, hey, Mike, uh, hey, hey, Dave, hey, Ivana, you, um, you tested this with other DACs, right? And they're like, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, after we got them some other DACs, uh, yeah, it, it didn't even work with Helen Fuller. Let's just put it that way. Okay. But after we got some them some other DACs from other manufacturers, uh, we now, I think, have about, you know, 99% compatibility. We'll be, you know, we will be uh, con- continuing testing and making sure that we work with all the popular USB interfaces. But, and, wh- and what are you using for the CD drive? Uh, I believe it's the... Oh God! It's the guys in Austria. The, they're, they're doing essentially. It's a clone of a Philips mechanism, but it's an actual CD mechanism. So it's a proper. It's not like a, a computer CD-ROM drive masquerading as something else. Correct. It is an actual CD mechanism, and it won't write or anything. It's Ooh. just a reading mechanism. Yeah. So okay, so this thing you could you could fire USB into it. You mm-hmm. can it plays CDs mm-hmm. with a proper draw, right? To yes. draw draw mechanism. Yeah, not a not a slot. No, 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 no. Okay, um, <clears throat> because I I hate slots. I'm going to yes. make a podcast episode about this eventually about how much I hate <laughs> slot loading CD players. But <laughs> but and then you've got several digital outputs. No anal- analog output. I would assume no. Is there no? No, no analog output. I I I joked with Mike. I said I would totally put an optional DAC card in there, but Mike was like, absolutely not. So, okay. It's, so yeah. it's it's a, it's basically a digital source product that. Mm-hmm. You can connect a, well, I guess a network streamer or a laptop to, or with so many ins and outs, it's it it has various use case possibilities, but also a CD player. I mean, I'm just so into CD players at the moment, so I'm just fascinated to hear this. I didn't know you were making this. I had no idea that you were yeah. making. And it's a and it's a tiny product. It's uh, the size of a Freya, so. It's, you know, very slim, very, oh. you know, not very deep. So it's, it's a really neat looking product. I'll see if I can get you one of the, the, the betas if you want to give us feedback on like what it doesn't work with. <laughs> we can, we'll talk about that when we, when we end this yeah. podcast, because I've got other things to share with you that might play nicely with that arrangement. Um, but I wanted to also ask you what, what happened to Sol? Oh, Sol. Um, Your that's another yeah, that's a that's another one that uh, the real problem was it didn't sell as well as we wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, The reality is that if we were going to do that, we would probably want to do the machining in house. You know, we didn't have as good a control over the machining as we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would probably do some redesign you know, to actually make it easier to produce um, and shoot for, you know, maybe even a, a lower price, you know, target. Hmm. Right now, we're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be pursuing that because, hmm. uh, I mean, people seem to love our phono preamps, but they didn't seem to love our turntable so much. And I totally understand it was a pain in the ass to use. Hmm. Yeah, it, it did look that way. But I, I think yeah. for dedicated enthusiasts, well, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Dedicated enthusiasts probably wouldn't be shopping with you guys because they probably see you as, I don't know, rightly or wrongly, as this sort of inferior, more budget-friendly 
manufacturer yeah. and aren't taking turntable design seriously. But clearly, as it was it was a neat turntable. It was you know it was a neat turntable. It was just that I mean, well let's put it this way: it didn't even have a dust cover option. Yeah, see, I don't worry about that too much. Yeah, so, uh, it, it's amazing. Do. It's amazing when you're when you're in the sub one thousand dollar you know, range. You really need that, and you need to have something that's kind of like take it out of the box and turn it on and play things. Right. And it definitely wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that. <clears throat> no, I, I I have one. You know, um, you know, I I still use it, but mm. uh, I have no illusions about it being mainstream. So did that teach you anything in terms of like manufacturing, production, design, market placement, relative, you know, about, well, about those factors and will that inform or has that informed what you're doing with, is it called ERD? Did you say it's called ERD? Yeah, with ERD. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it did. And so ERD, I would expect is going to be very similar to Folk Vonger in that this is a limited run product and we'll see how it goes. You know, if mm. it, we're not actually setting it up for serial production, we're going to say, we'll make so many units, we'll see how it goes. And if it goes well, we'll make a lot more. Mm. Um, or, you know, we'll take feedback and adjust because the early, it, it's funny, I think uh, eight out of 10 people have said, hey, can I get it without the CD drive? Oh, really? And I'm like, huh, that's it's a very interesting thing. And we would have never thought of that. The answer is no. <laughs> you have the CD drive because it's good for you. <laughs> yeah. The, the answer is no. Everyone should have tons of CDs and waste tons of space, like keeping them around. Um, I love them. I just love them. But yeah, okay. I understand. I, no, I, I, I get it. I mean, I have thousands and thousands of them too. It's it's like, it, it's a disease. But yeah, the, so yeah, for right now, the answer is no. Um, you know, if, mm. if that turns into something that people seem to want, then, then the answer would be maybe. What would it look uh, like, though, without a CD transport? Probably look about like a Jotunheim, I'd expect. It's probably about that size. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of what would it do? Would it just, would it literally, I hate to use the term again, would it just be a DDC? It would just be a DDC. So USB in, USB out, spit it out. Yeah, and it's just not that, you know, to me, that's not that interesting, but it's not, you know. Um, it, it, it is funny how many people have asked about that. See, I think you're right. As a niche product, as a, as a CD transport, you'll sell those like that. No question. Especially hmm. if you're just doing a limited run of, I don't know, how hundreds or thousands. I don't, I don't know how many, how many, how many products constitutes a limited run for you? For that, it'd probably be 250 to start. Okay. Uh, and just see how it goes. Yeah, right. That's see in my mind, that's super limited. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's that's like almost like Audio Technica's Soundburger Limited. I think they only made a couple of thousand of those or something really silly, some silly number. Oh yeah. No, it's it's I think it's it's a kind of a well, it's probably about half uh what I would normally do. We would typically do, you know, two fifty and set up for another two fifty immediately. Mm. Uh but right now we're being like super careful because we never know, uh, you know, really how things are going to go. This year went from like incredibly biggest year ever. My God, we can't keep up with anything. Can't keep anything in stock to like nothing moves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, well, I'm, I'm exaggerating, you know, things are, you know, things are moving still at a rate quite a bit higher than pre pandemic, but 
it's not like the insane, insane rate that, you know, we started out the year. And, it, and it, you know, in retrospect, maybe it makes sense. I mean, we went from, you know, pandemic free money still hanging around to, uh, you know, the inevitable hangover. And mm. we're in the hangover right now. Okay. So you're not, I mean, when you describe ERD, and then we, I think about Sol and even your um, EQ units, uh, mm-hmm. The, the gadgets, yep. right? Yep. It seems to me that you've you've grown so, yeah, so well or so quick. Well, not quickly; it's not the right word. But you've you've grown to a level where now you can just indulge certain projects, right? Just not on a whim, but like, well, let's try that and let's try that and see what that does. Like Falkvanger, I guess. It's, yes. I mean, is that where you're at now? That's pretty much where we're at. I mean, the the thing, you know, we, we essentially have a nice base of products mm-hmm. that, that are quite predictable as far as, you know, what they sell. And, you know, they sell for a long period of time. Mm. And now it's like, let's play with a few things. And I don't know what the future actually looks like. That's why we're playing. It's like, mm. do we move more up market? Oh, almost certainly not. Um, but you said you won't do that, right? On the record yeah. several times, I think. Yeah, it's like, you know, do we go above, say, like Iggy and Tear? No, 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 no. That, that's, that's already kind of pushing the limits. You know, mm. do, we, do we try to go, you know, even, you know, further down? That's actually tough. Then you start running into the limitations of, of U.S. production. We actually, uh, we did, we took all the way through to final prototype a, um, a uh, little USB dongle that was about, no, it was tiny. It was like half the size of a credit card. Um, and it was, it was in a machined aluminum chassis and everything. And it was going to go for $49. Huh. Uh, the, pro- the problem is it sounded horrible. Um, <laughs> Did it measure it, well though? <laughs> I measured okay. But I mean, the main thing is like we, we plugged it into Lisa's, you know, MacBook pro, the, you know, which, yeah, it does have one of the best headphone outputs, you know, out there. Yes, it uh, does, we, yeah. we plugged into that and it's like, oh, this sounds quite a bit worse. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I got worried. I'm like, oh, crap, let me go get the uh, full. I plug that in I'm like, OK, this is a lot better. OK, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I don't have to worry about full of, but we're not going to be doing this particular product. Which so, made me pretty sad. I mean, I, I wanted to have something, you know, really neat and cheap and a stocking stuffer kind of thing. But, yeah, not if it sounds like that. Is that a lesson that you can go too cheap? It is a lesson you can go too cheap. And it, it's, a, it's a lesson that we, we have to be really careful um, not, to, not to stand on principle. It's like the prices on Magnus and Modis are creeping up a bit, finally. Um, mm. And that's intentional because... Uh, if if we tried to keep the ninety nine dollar price point, you're going to end up with a lot worse product. You know, we either got to pull the money, even more money out of the chassis, which is tough, mm. or it has to start coming out of the board. And then that that's where no, actually, we do need all that. You know, to to get the kind of you know results we're getting, whether it's measurement or sound or both. Mm-hmm. So when you started selling Magni and Modi, they were hundred dollar products, right? Mm-hmm. And then now, what are they at? Uh, now, Magni is 109 uh-huh. and Modi is 129. Um, and it's still, it's, it's really funny because if you look back um, at the original Magni and Modi at $99, you know, single input products, very limited. 
Um, yeah, it's like, okay, so we've, we've had some inflation. But if you look back on Magni 2 Uber and Modi 2 Uber, which are the closest, you know, comparison, mm. those 2012 products were 149 each. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're actually now selling you a stack that has vastly better capabilities, better, you know, better measurements, better sound, you know, better everything. And it's $60 cheaper than that. Hmm. So 10 years, you know, sorry, 2014, uh, eight years, still $60 cheaper. And that's in real, you know, constant. That's not in like, you know, the equivalent dollars. It's like, no, you paid 298 for a stack hmm. back in 2014. And now it's 238. Do you get a lot of customer feedback appreciating that kind of thing? Yeah, we do. And, you know, the, of course, we, we've now that we've you know, move past the magical two-digit price point that, you know, we get less of it. But mm. it's, like I said, it, it's something that we have to actually, we have to think about because you can only increase production so much and you can only pull out, you know, so much, so much content. We'll, we'll see what happens um, as the economy cools down because one of the factors that, that we were running into is everything was getting more expensive. You know, mm-hmm. PC board assembly, PC boards, metal, etc. We've actually seen the price of PC boards and metal already come down. Let's see mm. how assembly goes. But you mm. know, it's it's not impossible that in the future we could maybe retake some of those price points. I wouldn't be, you know, betting positively on it right now, but oh we're gonna keep trying, that's for sure. Right. It's not impossible. So uh, there's one more topic I want to talk about and that's really sort of modularity and sustainability. Mm-hmm. And they obviously go, I think, go hand in hand because you've just turned Igdrasil into a modular product, right? Yeah, it's always been modular. It's just been really hard to deal with. The pain um, in the ass modular. Yeah, it's it was horrible because it's <laughs> like, oh, hey, it's fully modular. You can swap out anything. By the way, it's 39 screws to get the thing apart. Right, that's a lot. And they're fiddly little screws too that you're probably going to cross-thread some of them. And I like, you know... It's kind of hard to say we love you and we want to give you this modularity and easy upgrades and then go, oh, and by the way, here's the world's most horrible chassis. Mm. And so when it came time to update Iggy, I'm like, you know what? What we need to do is make this thing easy to get apart, uh, add a remote. You know, people have been asking for that forever. And then also make it more rational so that, you know, let's have a modular back. So Mm. if we change, you know, connectors, Mm. uh, we can actually do that without changing the entire chassis. That was also an Achilles heel old chassis. As you change any, any connector on the back, the entire inner chassis has to go bye-bye. So we did Mm. that. And now you can actually, you can either upgrade your old Iggy to this new chassis, get some new, you know, features like remote and NOS mode, stuff like that or you can sit and wait and see what we come out with and then do it then or you can sit and wait and never do it because almost everything we do will be compatible uh you know with the current you know with the older iggies as well um the only thing that will break it is like let's say we come out with a a two input usb uh card you know something that has you know additional holes on the back yeah, that you need an Iggy Plus for that. Mm. Uh, you, you won't get that on an Iggy. So, I mean, I look at, I mean, my own sort of 
uh, what's the word, wellspring of anecdotes comes from my YouTube comment section. And I see a lot of positive comments about what NAD are doing with their MDC modules and you know, right. being able to move those around. And so when you announced this new Iggy with the modularity, I was like, ah, this is, this is a thing that I think could have a very bright f future for not just you, but you know, NAD and other mm -hmm. manufacturers. And not just because it's a fashion thing or to, just to be kind of, to essentially greenwash your company, but it'd be a real thing that I think people appreciate, especially if you're selling internationally, because then you don't have to like sell your existing EE on a used market, take a haircut, buy a new one. Then you're obviously paying for, you know, import duties and shipping costs and things like that. You just buy the mm -hmm. new board, which I think is, I think it's wonderful personally speaking. So I just wonder whether you think it has legs or whether you just think it, it could be just a, a small thing or maybe you don't know. I don't oh, know. no, I, I think it's important um, that it is limited though, because um, if it, if it's too hard to upgrade, mm. we've, well, okay. When we did a, an Iggy upgrade, I think it was the, yeah. When we went to analog two um, and we couldn't actually do the upgrades fast enough, we found people would just go and buy another Iggy. Right. Um, so th there's a limit there. You know, some people are like, yeah, I know I want it and I want it now. And, you know, I don't really care about that. And I'll resell the other one or whatever. Um, so our focus now is on making it convenient. And, you know, Bifrost 2, of course, is super convenient. It just has slide-in cards. And, you know, that that we, we don't ever have to take them back from you. They don't have to come into us. We just send you another card. Hmm. Iggy, you know, we didn't want to go and kill the old one in order to fix it. And I realized, like, if you just make it easy to upgrade, if you make it so that the top comes off with, in this case, four screws instead of 39, <laughs> and the back's modular, uh, it's like, well, then we're fine. So mm -hmm. it actually uses all the same boards as the old Iggy. And mm -hmm. so we got our continuity there. And we can actually go and still continue to upgrade this kind of in perpetuity almost. Mm -hmm. And then we also protect your investment, you know, so you don't have to actually sell it. We don't have to say, sorry, uh, Bifrost is busted and we have to do a new one that uh, is much more upgradable. We, mm. it, it's on, on a you know $600 product at the time. That's, that's one thing on a something you spent a couple grand on. That's a little harder pill to swallow. Okay. All right. I'm going to end it with um, a, a question that I'm totally stealing from an, another <laughs> podcast that I listened to, which I thought was a really good way to end podcasts with guests. And th the question is this, what's the one thing that we should be talking about? And let's restrict it to hi-fi, but we're, we're currently not. Oh boy. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a big one. <laughs> Is there anything or is this hi-fi that kind of narrow niche and relatively bland relative to the rest of the world that there's nothing there? No, I, I, I really think that there should be a lot more discussion on where are the where are the limits and, and limits as it being like, okay, what is where does where does rational become irrational as far as investment in this? You know, what you know, what should you be shooting for to get you know, the, the 90% or, you know, the 95% uh, of the hundred percent rather than that final five. Mm. Um, uh, I always use the example of, of uh, coffee, you know, mm. 
uh, we have we have people that work for us here in Corpus, and um, yeah, we we have a very fancy coffee machine in in the workplace, and and I'm like, yeah, that that's nice and everything. I said, but you realize that if you just got a good grinder and a French press, you, you know, you're going to be better than 95 percent of the coffee you can buy out there, mm-hmm. you know, just commercially. And you don't need a $5,000 machine, you know, to do this. So it'd be nice if you kind of said, you know, eh, if you shoot for, um, you know, getting this kind of system, this is a, this is a great place to start, you know, and and maybe finish, you know, rather than like, well, yeah, now we have to do the $450,000 turntable. Um, Mm. It's, it's frustrating because, you know, I, I, I see people, with, you know, $500 headphones and they're like, yeah, should I get a, you know, should I get a Ragnarok or a Folklanger? I'm like, uh, I think I'd be spending money on a headphone. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's a, that's a, a reasonable piece of advice, but I think I know what, I know where you're getting at with this sort of where the limits, but the, even the term, the terminology suggests that you, you, you run the risk of policing other people's behavior. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's more like, okay, then it'd be like, where, you know, where's the, Where's the biggest bang? You know, where's the, where is, where does it matter? Um, mm. And, and that, you know, the problem is there, there's so much discussion out there. I mean, if you dive right in, uh, you could be totally convinced that, you know, okay, the power cable is going to make as big a difference as a headphone. It's like, mm, I doubt that. Absolutely not. Um, so, you know, where do you, you know what's what's a what's a great way to get started and have a good uh, you know a, a good or great experience at this without you know going off the deep end but some I mean, people enjoy the deep end especially if they've been swimming for a while in the shallow end and then maybe in the middle of the pool so let's say they understand that the speakers or the headphones have the biggest impact on what they hear if you're doing speakers you will need to factor in the room even more but mm-hmm. then after that you're getting down to amplifiers and then down to DACs and then and then you might get into sort of digital sources and cables and things like that. <clears throat> now, somebody like you, Jason, might say, well, okay, I'm going to ring fence the electronics and the speakers and the room, and I'm going to keep the, the cables and the whatnot on the outside and, and this, the dig- digital sources. But other people might enjoy, like your coffee machine people at work, they might enjoy the real deep dive at the other end, right? But I understand what you mean, that, that when people start talking about that, very loudly on the internet, it distorts the conversation or distorts the perception of other people reading it sort of casually, I think. Yeah. And and the thing is that something we could definitely discuss much more is um, essentially what, okay. (laughs) How do I, how do I put this without making it sound completely uh, offensive? It's like, okay, so. Well, Mike's not uh, here. So you're going to have to step in for him at some point. (laughs) <laughs> I'll just say it. It's like, okay, so if we're, we're, we're talking transducers that are minus 40 to minus 50 dB THD, um, why are we talking about minus 120 amps as if they matter? But you can hear the differences between those amplifiers through those speakers, though. You can, but why? Why what? Why, why, why do would you hear but, it, or why, why do we care? Yeah, well, oh, yeah, why, why would you hear the difference, you know? I, I don't know. The, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. It's something that's puzzled me for a long time when I think somebody in Australia was like talking me through the, the sort of, yeah, the the distortions of a loudspeaker relative to amplifiers. And he said like you, the biggest distorting 
object in your chain, John, are your loudspeakers by a long way. So why does why do all these subtleties sort of percolate through? Yeah, and what what's the important of transient performance? Because one of I mentioned that I I do like uh, current feedback amps. Mm -hmm. One of the mm -hmm. things I have is they're very fast and very stable. And you, it's very easy to run square waves through them and it looks like a square wave and it's perfect and it's not under damped and it doesn't have, you know, horrible slew, slew rates or asymmetrical slew hmm. or anything like that. And it's, it's wonderful. They just, they typically won't measure as well in THD terms, but they have wonderful transient performance, mm -hmm. you know, is there something there? Because if you're talking, you know, an analyzer, it's, it is repetitive, steady state, you know, over time, it's not transient. Mm. So there, there's got to be something there. You know, it, it, you can look at the transient performance of speakers and headphones a lot better, of course, you know, run a, run a uh, impulse through them and you can, you can see all sorts of wacky stuff going mm. on. And, and that certainly matters. But, uh, I, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, I, I you're working it, at the, the deep end, right? With that yeah, kind of the, thing. It's extremely deep, and you know we're now at the point where it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta start working with maybe university or something to get some of this data mm -hmm. uh, because I am interested. I, you know, I don't want to just say, hey, we're just gonna keep making wacky stuff, and hopefully we kind of blindly find something that works. Uh, I would actually rather know why. Right. So you think that maybe the future for your own sort of career path is is to really dig dig hard on this stuff and, and try and find something that I guess like a lot of engineers of your stripe would do, try and find the sort of the next achievable point. Yeah. Right. And I, I think there's still limits to that. I mean, okay, let's say we find something. Let's say we find something that that uh, you know is is measurable uh, and correlates with what you hear. Uh, does that mean that we can now do an analyzer that has a, you know, an absolute audio quality percentage rating? Well, no, you can't because it's how you hear or it's how I hear or it's how an average hears. Everyone is a little different. There's different yeah. preferences. And so if the analyzer is an average, um, you know, that's not going to play, necessarily please anyone. And if it's just me, it's like, well, yeah, I'm great, but sorry about you guys. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love to have better, I'd love to have better data. I'd love to have stuff that correlates, you know, better with what we hear, but there are going to be limits to it. Do you think you'll always be working with class A, B circuits and class A circuits? I think in general, yeah. Um, Everyone always asks us about Class D, and uh, I, I did. I deliberately didn't do that just then. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, uh, my, okay, uh, a lot of people don't understand. It's like we have really, really deep uh, development skills here, hmm. and you know, Dave and Ivana have done some amazing stuff. Ivana is PhD mathematician. She does, you know, our algorithms, uh, for, you know, things like the gadget and things like the ERD and things like unison. Mm -hmm. And Dave has, you know, he's been involved in audio since the beginning of time and space and, and, you know, worked <laughs> for theta and stuff like that. Right. Dave, 
know, early on, I said, you know, Dave, if we really want to make a ton of money here, what we need to do is do a good sounding class D amp. And he's like, cool. You know, I will take, I'll take a look at that. He says, you know, they, they've never sounded great to me, but I'll take a look. So he actually went all the way up to like three megahertz, you know, gallium nitride designs. And Mm -hmm. this is like, this is like three or four years ago um, that we were playing around with that. And he's like, yeah, this one's bad, and this one's bad, and this one's bad, and this is bad, and it's bad, and it's bad, and it's bad. And I listened to him. I'm like, yeah, they're not that great. And so we gave up on them. Uh, Maybe it's time to look at them again, but uh, they they have inherent limitations and inherent sound that we don't like. So I suspect we're going to be doing, you know, Class A, Class A, B, uh, you know, who knows, maybe someday, you know, Class H or something. Hmm. Uh, the real, real switching approach is, is interesting. Um, I, would not re- I would not rule out us doing uh, something with switching supplies in the future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think those are less sonically harmful than, than current Class D implementations. And we're going to continue to look at things. You know, we are, we are open to anything. Uh, and I think the biggest proof of that is uh, the big thing that, that Dave and Ivana have been working on this year is what we call singularity, which is our <laughs> Delta Sigma. Stop the clocks. <laughs> yes, it's our Delta Sigma low, low bit. You know, I, I don't know how many bits. It's, uh, I, I believe it's seven. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, low bit, high rate uh, with our own noise shaper. And huh. I, sus- I suspect uh, you'll probably be able to, well, you'd certainly be able to hear it next year. You may be able to buy it next year. Uh, we just, we did demo it at uh, one of our meets recently. Hmm. It, it is, it is working to the point where it is, you know, it's playable and it sounds pretty good. Um, it sounds very different than, than our, uh, our uh, multi-bit, but it's not unpleasant. Um, it does retain a lot of the, the qualities of our multi-bit stuff because it's still fronted by our digital filter and all the math is actually based on our math. All the upsampling math is, is based on ours, not on, you know, any other uh, commercial application. Did you have uh, to send uh, Mike on a holiday for you to get, get that developed? Just say, Mike's Mike, the, take, take a month off. <laughs> Mike's actually the one who wanted to do it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mike, Mike loves to actually... Okay, Mike, if anything, is a contrarian. That's why, you know, when we were doing more expensive DACs, that's why he's like, oh, let's try this $99 thing. Um, mm-hmm. This this is him going, hey, let's try something really weird and really different. And uh, that is, like I said, it's getting close. You know, I, I don't know that we're going to ship anything with it next year, but um, it's definitely possible. Does this come from the same mindset that kind of started you on the path of doing a choke input amplifier or my, well, yeah, yeah. Was you and Mike, you're right. Yeah. And that's reaching back to the past. You yeah. Know, that's, that's Mike saying, Hey, you know, I've noticed choke input stuff, you know, tends to sound good. And, uh, yeah, that, yeah. After, after playing with that a bit at Theta, you know, I just kind of filed that away in the back of my head until we were doing big enough iron that we could play with that. It almost seems like there's nothing off the table with, with, with you guys at shit. I, I use the word guys as a non-gender specific term, just think, just to be clear about this. Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. There's, there's absolutely 
I, I can tell you where the table ends. Here, here's where it goes off the table. If it sounds like crap. <laughs> okay. So that we don't want. And, right. And after, you know, sitting with a, an early dev prototype of what we're calling singularity, the, the, the low bit deck hmm. um, on my desk for a long time, I'm like, this is actually really good. I could, I could be completely happy with that. But that, that one dongle that we did, which is, you know, based on good parts and everything, like no, it's it, it's not up to snuff. That's refreshing to hear because I think many companies would have just said, "Well, we've done the development work, we've put the money into it, we're going to ship it." But I guess it, that would easily backfire and kill, well, not kill your reputation, but it would damage it. I would think. Yeah, it's a, it, we really we couldn't actually put our name on it. Hmm. Um, you know, it 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 hurt. Yeah, it really hurt to say, uh, "Yeah, we we did all this." We actually had, you know, machine chassis and everything done. You know, we had panelized boards done. And it's like, no, we're not going to do this. It's just, it, it would be too much of a disappointment as a introduction to, to us. Yeah, I, I could see someone getting that and going, eh, well, it looks neat, but maybe these guys aren't like about sound. Mm. Yeah, that's fair enough, especially if it's right at the very entry level. And people yep. are trying it out and going, well, this sounds no better than my MacBook. And that's a fair thing to say, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, and it, it sounded worse than the MacBook, just to be uh, completely clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bad. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, Jason, on that bum note, <laughs> I think right. we, should, we should draw things to a close. Uh, thank you so much for your time this morning, especially as it's the Thanksgiving holiday. And I'm, I'm sure, yeah, you must have eaten a lot of turkey yesterday. Yes. Yes, of course. You know, smoked turkey. You gotta, you know, it's Texas. Must smoke. Oh, so did you have a big barbecue? Yeah, we we have a pellet grill that we that we did actually two kind of smaller turkey, two like twelve poundy turkeys, right? Um, on on the pellet grill, they came out great. So, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big believer now. Uh, we used to deep fry them and you know do do various things. <laughs> that's, it's, that's you know it's, it's hilarious. I mean, most of Thanksgiving <laughs> is about like getting around the limitations of turkey. It's just not a very good tasting thing. It's not usually. It's not, yeah. and, the, and the Brits and Christmas uh, Christmas do it as well. And yeah. it's just and British cuisine doesn't really have <laughs> a fantastic reputation as it is. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. Do you is it warm enough to eat outside in November in Texas? Yes, it was yesterday. Right now, the, the, the weather's kind of variable. It's 65 Fahrenheit right now. It was like 72 yesterday. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's been like three degrees Celsius for the last 10 days here. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You can't I, do anything I, outside. It's awful. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the ocean temperature here is still like 75. Wow. My goodness. Yeah, yeah it sounds like you've, um, you're living the good life, Jason. That's good for you. Yeah, except for the mosquitoes. I mean, that's like the state bird of Texas is definitely <laughs> the mosquito. So. You've, hey. Humidity and, and mosquitoes, no. I just, a flat no from me. I'm out. <laughs> Got it, yeah. No, <laughs> it's not for everyone. <laughs> uh, we, we've had people from California saying, oh, I'd love to come out there. It's like, well, maybe spend some time here and then decide. Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like it. You know, I do like being, you know, near the beach and everything, but. Uh, I could see people hating this. Yeah, for sure. I can. I mean, people are always a little bit confused as to why I left Sydney. It's beautiful <laughs> and it's, it looks amazing and the weather's amazing. But yeah, it's but it's like ninety five thousand degrees for half of the year, and yep. it's and it's humid as well a lot of it. And yeah, mosquitoes not so much because it's 
Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, I don't know why. But yeah, it's not for everybody. But I know that people, they could never live here. And even I'm tiring of the Berlin winters. They're just too cold and gray and dark. It's just, it's like, it's like a 70s movie on repeat. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, God. That's, uh, yeah. I, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do the cold. It's like, and and as I get older, it's it, it's yeah. I I don't like the cold as much. It's like no. I I can totally see you know hanging out here. Maybe yeah, uh, most of the time. Right now we're going back and forth between here and California. Hmm. Uh, but the the summers summers are great here because the ocean temps like eighty six and what? you know yeah, and we're ha- and we're half a mile from the beach. You could almost so, boil an egg in the ocean. Yeah, it's crazy. It's <laughs> it's nuts, dude. Yeah, Fahrenheit. Sorry, Fahrenheit. Sure, um, but even so, it's just yeah. I'm 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 being ridiculous, but anyway, Jason, I, I must let you get on with your day. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It, I, it, you know, people will know me. It's like I'll always take a chance to talk. I don't know why. Good for you. 